everyone and welcome back to another episode of Deets with Dita. I'm your host Nandita and today I have very special guests with me. It's Matt! Hey, how we doing? Yes. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? What do you want to know? Um, I'm Matt. I watch lots of films. I've known Nandita since she was really little. I mean, that's, that's, that's all we need to know because the film bit is oh. the most important bit. Um, so in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the shape of water, which we have very differing opinions about. <laughs> <laughs> so I very much, when I first watched the film, was I was 15 when it came out because it came out in 2017. And I think it was one of the first 15 films that I saw in cinema. And because it came out in the January, I think. And I watched it. And I just didn't like it at all. I was just sat there really confused throughout the whole film. But maybe that's because I was 15 and I just didn't know anything. Yeah, I definitely think it's one of those films. You, you should watch it every 10 years and see if your opinion changes dramatically <laughs> every decade. Uh, but yeah, I could see if you... Because if you... I think at 15, I think you're just going to see a weird film, right? You're just going to see a weird film about a woman and a fish. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly yeah. how I felt about it until I rewatched it, which will get on to my new opinions about it. But I just think it was, when I watched it at the time, I was just very confused. And it was one of the only few Oscar films I had watched in the cinema. So um, it was just a very interesting experience all around. Yeah, I read that actually um, when it won the Oscar, it was like the highest grossing Oscar winner for like five years, so... Like loads really? of people, loads of people saw it in the cinema. So, um, either that or the four or five years beforehand were not good. I mean, they don't. The Oscars don't exactly have a representation for making films that everyone will go and see. It feels like it's very down a niche market of people. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure I heard that on a podcast somewhere recently. Mm, I wonder. Where. <laughs> <laughs> so, what were your initial thoughts of the film? Um. I really liked it, and I, I, I think I always really liked um, Guillermo del Toro's other films. So, *Pan's Labyrinth* is one of my favorite films of all time. I love both um, both *Hellboy* one and *Hellboy* two. So, I kind of like his whole kind of fantasy, kind of dream esque type approach to uh, to certain films. So, I really liked it. Um, but again, I'm sure we'll get into it. I, I saw I, it was a completely different film second time round. You see so much more, and you learn so much more as uh, as you go along. Yeah, I'm an avid person for re-watching films like that's de it's definitely a good thing to do because I once I had re-watched it I think my like it my brain just kind of opened to a whole new world of possibilities about this film and especially because I'm watching it three years on a lot more older yeah I hope my film knowledge is a lot better this time <laughs> round um but we're going to be talking about the plot of the film because what's a film without a plot <laughs> um the cinematography so like that's like the shots that they have on screen so like what you see this could be anything to do with like color aspects or you know different little like easter eggs is like famously known in marvel films have like little easter eggs in the background and stuff anything to do with that um and the way the scene is actually shot on the camera and then finally we'll be talking about the music in the film because i think music does play a big part in this film yeah i totally yeah. agree so let's get into it. So a quick summary of what the film actually is. It's a film about Eliza, who is a girl who is mute and is set in the Cold War era. It doesn't give a specific year, I don't think, 
but no, but it's heavily suggested it's that kind of early sixties Cold War um, period, I think. Yeah, and um, she works in a scientific facility um, with her friend who I don't know the name of in the film, but I know her actress's name, which is Octavia Spencer. (laughs) And they work as cleaners and they stumble upon something um, that they have no idea what it is, um, but they have to obviously keep their mouth shut because it's like a scientific facility. And it just shows Eliza's journey with discovering this thing and I guess her journey and her relationship with it because she's she's just intrigued by it yeah i think that's about it and then yeah like kind of subplots around the american government trying to you know terrorize this uh, this this creature that they found and dragged across the across the country um but yeah i think that's about it woman meets fish yeah. falls in love with fish <laughs> and also just a pre-warning before you listen to this episode if you have not seen the shape of water we are definitely going to be spoiling this film because we're going to be deep diving into some specific details of the film so if you haven't seen it really recommend you go and watch it um and if you haven't seen it you know and if you just want it spoiled and then it may inspire you to watch the film then that's okay too whatever you feel like doing i can't force you to do anything um but yeah Right, so now let's talk about the plot. So I think this time around, I appreciated the film a lot more because um, I sat there like with my notebook and I wrote about five pages worth of notes about this film because I was really watching it with like, rather than paying attention and trying to figure out what's going on because I know the plot of the film already, I was more like, okay, how can I appreciate this from like a, a film like enthusiast point of view or someone who like really likes the little details about films and that's where my opinion of this uh, uh, film has changed for me because now I appreciate a lot more in terms of what it's doing rather than I guess the storyline itself. Yeah I totally agree I think except for the uh, when you first see it's complete flat it's just uh, it's a woman who falls in love with a weird fish alien but I think when you watch it again, um, I think you then start to see the kind of, um, not only is it this kind of romantic story, you don't really know where she's from um, or where he's from. And, 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 you know, there's obviously crossovers towards the end as well. But also the fact that um, she doesn't have a voice and the people that do have a voice for her are her best friend, who's um, female black um, uh, cleaner. And then her other best friend, who's like this old gay guy who's like hiding in there hiding his kind of sexuality and I think it's it's interesting that those two people wouldn't have had a voice in those times but in this film they are her voice and it's got this kind of um outlier kind of um oppressed kind of the the heroes of the film are the kind of sort of downtrodden and the uh, and the beaten up I think which is quite cool I know that's something that um I didn't notice like initially and then I didn't even notice it until you actually mentioned it because that that in itself for the time period that it was like set in because you can hear like constant sirens in the background of like the film and like it kind of hints towards the fact that it's like Cold War era because of the Americans and the Russians that are in the film and I think um, it is interesting that those two are her voice in a sense. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned the um, 
um, but the the baddies are are like are the Americans as well, which is um, which is weird for a film of that. As I said, because it's set kind of it's it's set in a Cold War era, and and actually the Russians are the nice guys, and uh, it's the Americans and the uh, and the American agents which are the bad guys uh, of, of the film. Mm, it's, it is really interesting and another thing that struck me in this film as well is that the bad guy I call him bad guy because I genuinely mm-hmm. don't remember his name I even have it in quotes in my notes bad guy <laughs> I just <laughs> I didn't <laughs> learn the name of him but he just seemed like all of the I guess negative tropes you would associate with a villain all in one so like he was extremely racist quite misogynistic towards women and like his just attitude and demeanor felt very bad guy, and it was very believable that he was a very very nasty man. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's a good point. I think he was very believable, and um, I suppose if uh, it was kind of uh, what what you have in mind if someone sort of says to you about kind of archetypal sixties um, American um, agent of some kind, be it kind of yeah. CIA or FBI, and uh, yeah, and I think Michael Shannon who uh, plays him brilliantly as well. Um, mm. And yeah, he's yeah, very believable, as you said. I definitely, I just, I don't know. I think it was intriguing for me to watch it and then see that and just think. There was one scene in particular with the bad guy that I, where I was watching um, when he was buying the car. And like, I think that was like a pivotal moment in my head where they were really trying to hammer home how much of like a power hungry, like greedy, I guess, stereotypical American above living wage man wanted to be yeah but I, it, it felt like um it was more a power thing for him than a financial thing for him mm. it didn't seem dressed very kind of like smart but very kind of um um you know sensible and as i said but the car seems quite interesting because he does go and buy this amazing car which seems almost out of character other than the as you said the sort of more the the power trip angle of uh of him owning his own domain as such and kind of lording lording over it as it, as it were. Mm, yeah, because I just remember like every two seconds the car salesman just saying power, 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 yeah. power about like about describing features of the car. And it was just like, they're really trying to hammer home that because this car is kind of like a representation of him because he yeah. bought it. And like, I thought that was a kind of cool aspect of the film. Yeah, definitely, definitely. He, yeah, he is. I think all all films like this need a good bad guy, and he's a very good bad guy. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that does make sense. <laughs> um, another thing I wanted to say. This is more of me just being a complete like silly person whilst watching this film and paying attention to the wrong things while watching the film. <laughs> but there was the film. I'm gonna go. Oh God, yeah, the cat. Okay, there was a cat in the film, right? Its name Emphasis was, on was. Um, <laughs> it was uh, Thor. And the, um, the, sea, the sea creature ends up eating him. And I, firstly, I love cats. Like, cats, I love them so much. So when I saw this, I was really like, oh my God, his head is gone. His head is literally gone. What is this? And the next scene, I see another cat walking past, right? I'm like, where did this cat come from? <laughs> so I was so confused. because, like, wait a minute, there's two cats? Why is he calling the cat Pandora now? Because he called the cat Thor. So I was just so confused. And then I realized that there were two cats. And, you know, it was not a continuity error. Because I was going to get really annoyed <laughs> that they didn't keep the cat's name the same. Yeah, the, the, the cat eating scene is a weird one as well. Because it kind of, 
other than to demonstrate that the guy is not human, it's kind of completely pointless. Um, it doesn't really serve any other purpose other than being weirdly gross out and amazing and funny. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's a very strange scene in the film. It is really, it just really stuck out to me because I was like, as a cat lover, I don't appreciate you just <laughs> eating the cat. <laughs> it was just, it was a lot. Did you have anything else to mention about the film? No, I mean, I like, um, I kind of, I sit on the fence with films that don't, and there's, there's the part of me that wants a film to tell me exactly what happens at the end. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I need to know that they, that they, they kind of went off over the sunset and lived happily ever after. But also I do like the kind of um, suggestive ending. So, you know, they fall in the water, um, she can breathe underwater. And then it kind of ends with that, that um, iconic kind of shot of them underwater kind of hugging, embracing. And, mm. and that's quite cool. I kind of, I like that as an ending. Although there's this other voice inside my head going, what, what, what happened to them? Where did they go? What did they do? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I, I have a thing against actually films that um, have very wishy-washy endings. Even the film that you recommended to me, to watch um, yesterday, I was not happy with the ending at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and the ending of that again, it's just, you, it could kind of leave such a cliffhanger, right? Yeah, it's, it is a lot of like cliffhanger films leave me. I only okay. I I accept cliffhanger films majority if I know that there's a follow up film. Like you know, with Marvel films, you have like yeah. the end credit scenes or the ending that kind of like suggestively lead to something else but you know there's another film coming out next so it's like anticipation for the next film yeah whereas films like the shape of water which i assume are like independent they're not going to have any like sequels or like prequels or whatever um attached to it if you have a cliffhanger ending it it's not in a way i think it's a good thing and a bad thing because it's a good thing because it leaves it up to audience interpretation, which I think is a very powerful thing because loads of people then will be talking about it online and being like, well, what happens at the end? You know, and people will be doing their own like conspiracy theory type things about what they think should have happened at the end. But then there's another part of me that's like, I really want closure. Yeah, (laughs) And closure I did not get. (laughs) But um, another thing that I briefly wanted to mention about the film as well, is that it is based off of something. It is, it's not just like a unique, like conjured up idea. It was based off of like an Amazonian sea creature story. Yeah, I think it's like a um, 50s B-movie creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, I Mm. think. which is similar, but but again, the in the, the creature is similar. Only comes from the Amazon, and uh, uh, everyone's scared of it, and he kind of runs around um, scaring uh, small town America. But uh, I think uh, I think uh, Del Toro kind of took that character and almost brought it forward ten years, and then then added this kind of whole love story, um, love interesting around it, which I thought was pretty cool. Because at no point really does this, does the creature actually kind of scare anyone or terrorize anybody, right? Other than... The cat. Oh, the cat. Oh, yes, I forgot the cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. How could you forget the cat? Wait, 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 but... wait. He also bites the finger off the dude. Yeah, but the dude's torturing him, right? So Okay, fair. Of... That's valid. But what did the cat do? Yeah. <laughs> <That's my question. laughs> 
cat was just food. Um, but yeah, no, other than that, he doesn't do the kind of, if you think of kind of the sort of sea creature, the, that B-movie uh, horror thing, the, the thing, the blob, where they just kind of trawl through a town, you know, terrorising everybody. That doesn't really happen. He doesn't really sort of get released mm. out to the public as such, even, even yeah. at the end, very kind of minimal kind of interaction with anybody other than the main cast. Yeah, and like going on from that, it's like during the film, he was called a lot of different things, right? Um, but never once did I hear like the main character, the main lead, Eliza, call him like the monster. I think at one yeah. point she calls him a mermaid. Yeah. And I think that's like such an interesting way that she didn't immediately see it as like a monster. She was like, oh, mermaid, because it's like whimsical and like fairy tale like. And it's like, definitely like as you're describing it the the director's type of vibe yeah definitely i kind of like a film as well where you don't get to know um characters a main character's name so like kill will mm. like you you know you don't find out her name till sort of five hours into the uh the two films which i think is quite cool yeah that is really cool and um another the thing with the um the sea creature as well is that like the other people called him like the asset t4 so like you had like the very scientifical name and then people just like stigmatizing it as like the monster and you had like eliza with mermaid and it's just like i don't know it's pretty cool when like you have that type of freedom of like that's it kind of op- has like a lens into what the character is like so like the character themselves who they're calling the sea creature kind of gives you a little quick insight into what their personality is like and how they're going to be important in the film. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Did we have anything else you wanted to add about the plot? I think we covered most of it, right? Yeah? Sure. Okay. That's cool. Um, so let's move on. Right. So we have now covered the plot, like very broadly, some of the things that we this time than last time. So now let's talk about something a little bit more interesting, which is the cinematography of the film. So you had some really interesting ideas that I didn't really pick up on when I watched the film, but you found really interesting about like the color palette. Yeah, I mean the whole film is just films. It's filmed in like almost like a dream sequence from start to finish. Um, so nothing feels kind of rigid. It's all very flowy. I think the um, kind of like water. Yeah. Well, again, and I was going to say that's no, genius. Um, I was going to say because the next thing is it's is it's a wet film. Like every everywhere you go, it's it's raining and it's you know you've got the it, there are the scenes in the flat the flat's damp and is uh, and uh, you've got the the bathroom overflowing so it's kind of a yeah it's a very kind of sort of like aqua film um, and then um, the colours are really really strange it's almost it's almost monochromatic yeah yes. we'll go go with that yeah that sounds right yeah. um, through through those scenes you, each scene seems to have kind of like sort of four base colours and um, um, lots of greens lots of blues. Um, uh, green features heavily through throughout the film. I mean, not only is the creature green, um, a lot of the buildings and interiors are, are, are green, and the water is green. Um, mm. The pie they eat all the way through is luminous <laughs> green. It's an amazing <laughs> key lime pie that they eat all the way through. Um, and then also um, the use of red as well. So red starts to creep in as the film goes on. And I'm not uh, certainly not clever enough um, or have studied uh, cinematography enough to know why, but um, as the film goes on, um, the main character wears more red and it starts off with uh, with lipstick and then she's wearing bright red shoes. And then gradually as the film goes on, she's wearing more and more kind of um, red clothing. It's almost like as she's getting more confident, she's kind of growing in her relationship mm. with, the, with, the, with the creature. 
but generally this is, sorry this is what I was gonna um pick up on because I remember you mentioning it so I sat down and had I thought about it yesterday and like there's so many different reasons of why she could be wearing more red um one of the reasons which you just like mentioned a little bit on was about the confidence now she's a very like in my eyes, at the beginning of the film, she felt very much like reserved. She didn't really want to make herself notice when she didn't want to be. So I guess the reason why she wore like such, like, as you mentioned, like almost monochromatic clothing is because she didn't want that attention. But slowly as she like builds this relationship with the creature, not only does she become more confident, but she wants to, her voice, I guess, to be, well, voice when she's mute, um, to be seen more. Um, and I also the color red I think the reason why is purely because of like the romantic connotations behind the color red as well yeah definitely and I think it's interesting because she's she's a downtrodden character she doesn't she lacks confidence uh, in the outside world but actually in her in her uh, in her own world in her, in her own apartment and with her friends um, she's actually quite confident so it's just only when mm. she's outside and then as I say that kind of red creeps in as as uh, as she goes but I think about the scene when this there's that really cute scene with the with her uh, with her gay best friend where um she starts tapping and dancing along to the the film just uh, oh, just yeah. her feet start going and it's just and it's just really really cute but she's not she's not like a pathetic character that you sometimes get in a kind of sort of downtrodden way she's just mm. quite reserved as you said and quite sort of timid and shy in the, in, in in the wider world yeah definitely screams introvert yeah and i i, I, I I kind of uh, debated whether to use this line in this entire podcast, but I cannot see my, getting through the next hour without mentioning it. But, but I think it kind of symbolises that she is a fish out of water. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I wrote that down, and I wrote it down, and I felt really clever. And then the more I read it, the more it sounded stupid. But yeah. No, that's but, brilliant. But she, that is brilliant. And so all the main characters are kind of like these fish out of water, apart from the main guy who's a fish in the water. But um, yeah, so you like I say you've got the kind of racial element, the the sexuality element. She's disabled, um, yeah. And like I say, in their own worlds, they're all great. But when they're in the wider world, it's a different dynamic, and they're kind of more timid yeah. and sort of oh down Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. I, I give that a round of applause. That was really good. I'm so ashamed. <laughs> no, own the bad jokes. It's good. <laughs> Um, so some things that I picked up on during the film were um, the imagery. There's one bit of the film which I thought was really cool, which is related to the gay best friend's um, job. So he's like a painter and he had to do this painting of like a for an advertisement. And it was of like a what I seem like depicted as like a modern American stereotypical family with like a plate of jelly. Yep. Right. And he was asked to recolor the plate of jelly uh, from red to green. And then it ended up just not happening in the end. And then there was a scene at the bad guy's house. Right. Where the woman is holding a plate of green jelly and she has her two kids running around in the living room. And she sat on the sofa holding it. And it just feels it. it that's got to be some like blatant like. Yeah, I, I missed that. I know exactly what you're talking about now. And so it's because he's only seen he's only seen when you meet his family. But you're right when when he when he walks in, she's in the kitchen. She's got the 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 apron on. And the kids are running around, and it's that kind of classic American dream family. And no, you're absolutely right. That's uh, that's genius. I've completely yeah, missed that. Yeah, I know that was like that was something so little, which I was like, that's and they make it like because it's the green jello that got me. Because like I would not have realized that 
if it wasn't for like the plate of like jelly that was like bright neon green and like I think it makes you think that like that's what her what she wanted as like just a normal family um with like just normal dynamic and whatever for the 60s but unfortunately that meant having I guess a husband who was depicted kind of as the bad guy psychopath (laughs) psychopath is probably the right word yeah so so talking of him um one of the things again I, I was there any sort of significance in the fact that his fingers are rotting throughout the whole film so you know uh, the creature bites his fingers off and then he mm. tries to he, he reattach them and then it's like a reoccurring thing through the rest of the film the fact that you know his his wife mentions it um the guy in the car mentions it uh, but he keeps he keeps persevering with these two fingers sewn back onto his hand which are obviously rotting away mm. and obviously obviously quite uncomfortable for everyone else yeah i i think that's a power thing again i think he just doesn't want to show any sign of weakness you know what i mean like he if obviously if you've had your finger bitten off people are going to be like whoa what's happened and like people will sympathize and like he's the type of person who i think has like a strong male ego in the sense that he wouldn't want people to feel pity or sympathy for him or want to think that he's weak so i think think to stitch those fingers back on it was kind of his way of being like there's nothing wrong with me i can still go on with this yeah, I suppose as well. I suppose with um, with you know half his fingers missing, kind of puts him more into almost puts a foot into their camp where he's not perfect and he's, mm. and you know he's not fully bo- fully able bodied and things like that. But yeah, I mean it's gross as well. Second to the cat um, is the uh, <laughs> next grossest thing in the film. It's rotting fingers. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. I think also the rotting kind of symbolizes that like the more and more he was trying to be this bad guy, the more and more it was failing. Yeah, yeah and he was like spiraling yeah no i totally agree you definitely get that sense of kind of desperation as the film goes on with him mm. and he starts to lose control and of the of the situation yeah for sure and um one of the things that really bugs me and i mentioned this yesterday it was there's this one scene where she's on the bus right and it's raining and there are raindrops on the window and <laughs> there's a transition <laughs> There's a transition, right? And it's like the transition's like a raindrop as if it's dropping onto like this the actual picture, like the, the frame, and then it transitions to the next scene from the rippling effect. Immediately when I saw that scene, I thought on Microsoft PowerPoint you have that that changing uh, slide um, transition where you can have a ripple raindrop effect, and it just broke. It broke the whole like. Um, immersive like this is meant to be like a super cool award-winning oscar film and you've just added something that reminisces a powerpoint-esque transition yeah i i know this is you're talking about and, and then i i can't decide whether i really liked it or really really hate it i i recently watched um 1917 ah right yeah which has no transitions um and Ooh, i found and and i found that really annoying um, quite frankly it just feels like you never blink for the whole film um <laughs> and uh yeah no i i i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna stick up for uh um del toro on this one i, I like the uh the, the rain transition <laughs> have more you PowerPoint ever seen the powerpoint transition though i know exactly what you're talking about yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah 
No, I think we should. I think all films should have a PowerPoint transition. The star wipe one. I think we should have the star fade through through films, definitely. Uh, or just like the the solar flare, like nice, yeah, 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 <laughs> just constantly in every single film. Just... <laughs> I love, the, I, I love the idea of him sitting there, you know, at the end of the day, looking at the rushes going, how am I going to transition from this this to that, this to that? And then just Microsoft PowerPoint in the background. Okay, nailed it. <laughs> that's, <laughs> no that's one what will I ever want. know. Yeah. Oh, I, I really would like to believe that happened too. <laughs> <laughs> Won an Oscar for the PowerPoint transition. <laughs> Did you have anything else to mention about the cinematography of the film? Um... Probably only just to just a proper kind of um, Del Toro fanboy thing, really, which is the guy that plays the sea creature is a guy called Doug Jones, who also plays a creature in, um, plays a very similar creature in um, Hellboy 1 and 2. And he plays um, he plays a, a few creatures, but an amazing creature in Pan's Labyrinth, which if you haven't seen, you should absolutely see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, it's, I think there's something to be said for those actors. And I suppose the modern day one would be kind of Anthony Serkis, um, yeah. his Gollum work. I think that it's an amazing thing to be able to, be good at that you know I don't think yeah. I don't think it's something that everybody could do and you know without any uh with sort of minimal facial expressions and and no actual lines it's amazing to think he kind of you know uh he can kind of emit that kind of emotion and uh and, and really kind of get a sense for how he's feeling just through kind of movement and uh, uh everything but yeah other than that that was uh that was all I had I I another thing I wanted to mention is I throughout this time watching the film I was like how did they do the sea creature like did was it cg was it like complete like costume or was it like half cg half costume i i thought it was um i think it was, it's mostly costume and then i think the kind of facial like the uh like the eyes and the, the sort of triple eyelid thing going on that uh, i think cg but i i took I, I took from it that it was uh it was almost all costume and again if you look at if you look at his other films um they're very much kind of costume based rather than uh, cg i like that about it I think that's really yeah, cool. definitely. Not a lot yeah, of I mean, like I... films are doing it like that nowadays. People, I think, just think it's easier to just chuck it through the CGI works. Yeah, and to reference your uh, your previous episode um, on Star Wars, you can see where um, for me the uh, the original three and the last three are so much better than the middle three because the middle three where all the droids are CG and Jar Jar Binks abomination of a character is all CG. <laughs> um, it's so much better when you have that mixture of kind of um, costume and CG in the in the, in the um, earlier and later films. Yeah, definitely. Wow. You've been listening to my podcast. That's great. We have we love a guest that promotes it. <laughs> Homework. <laughs> so um, now that we've finished up the cinematography, let's move on to music. So music in this film, I think, is extremely important considering the main character is mute. Right? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. So at the beginning of the film, I think the most... Okay, actually, no, let's not talk about that first. I'll save that one for later. This one's a bit more funny. So to the film mainly towards the end because this is towards the end of my notes the score of the film felt so reminiscent of the up score yes yeah no i can certainly see that you, you know what i mean because yeah. it's like that whimsical and this is as when i was listening to it like actually paying attention to it i was like is this up yeah yeah you've <laughs> just ruined the whole film for me for all time i'm never gonna <laughs> watch the film again because it's so it's, you're so right you're so right it's like it's that kind of uh that, oh no, you have ruined the whole thing 
<laughs> <That's> <laughs> terrible. Oh, but is that a time i mean when is upset is that a kind of um is that a time period i don't know i think the whole premise of up was very much like just the relationship between the old man and then the young kid russell and like i think maybe because the man was slightly older to get that feel for maybe his youth they used that style of like music yeah yeah because uh, yeah now it's flooding back to me now because up's got that horrible gut-wrenchingly awful uh, montage scene at the start isn't it where it goes from him being yeah. like really happy yeah. and then his life being over so yeah yeah. And he's like a grumpy old man. Yeah, yeah, with good reason. Sad, sad start to a film. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast oh. episode right there. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Traumatic Disney <laughs> Disney films. Oh, don't worry, it's in the works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I just think, yeah, so the that's something that I'm glad came to me at the end of the film. Otherwise, I would be the same with you. I would not be able to <laughs> yeah. see the film. The same yeah. way. There's, sort of, there's other similarities as well, because if you th I'm thinking back to like Up Now, and Up's got this kind of like steampunk type um, vibe going on when it goes to the, uh, in the in the guy's like spaceship and things like that. And uh, mm. and this, I think it's got, it's got kind of similar as well. And it's kind of got, like, it's got that kind of, um, all, yeah, almost kind of sort of post-Victorian kind of like steampunk thing going on. Lots of, uh, lots of big uh, brass and copper everywhere and mm. kind of wacky kind of uh, goggles and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I not realised the similarities <laughs> between the two films. I mean, this is what happens when, when you talk yeah. to a Disney nerd. Like everything <laughs> yes, yeah. seems to just slowly piece together of everything just relating to Disney. It, it all comes back to, to Walt. Everything leads it back really to Walt. It really does. At the end of the day, Disney will eventually own the entire world. Sad to say. Sad, sad, sad to say. Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> so on the um, so um, the on the music side, I was the one that I really did like, and it's one of my favourite scenes, and it's completely pointless, but is the is the big musical dance scene, and um, you know, it's, I mean, it's obviously set in a time even before before me, um, and yeah, it's just kind of really kind of. It's kind of really romantic, and it's got that, it, that lovely kind of big dresses. It all goes goes a bit black and white. And it's all sort of twirly, and uh, mm. yeah, it's, it's a great kind of sort of dream sequence uh, uh, part. And uh, and the music is uh, is actually key to that. Mm. And the music actually in that scene was something from the big, like um, a piece of music at the beginning of the film, um, which was the song uh, "You'll Never Know" by Alice Faye, and she sings it like. The one at one of the first, well, I say sing, she listens to it at one of the first moments when she meets the sea creature. And like it's the, the lines of the song like go, You'll never know like how much I miss you. And like that's like kind of our initial like gateway into understanding that she has like romantic feelings for this creature. Yeah, no, I mean that's an that's an interesting scene in itself when uh, when she takes the um, uh, the vinyl player into in, into the creature's um, um, like prison and uh, and just plays that one song while she's feeding stuff and it's kind of interesting. Mm. But again, neither neither of them can speak and it's kind of like a universal language piece and yeah. Um, but yeah. So the and another thing as well is the dance sequence that you mentioned as well reminded me of and I know La La Land I think it came out after this film did it come out after this film uh yeah I think so I think so because this came out this was in the same 
kind of um, Oscars as three billboards and the yeah. post and now and I'm sure La La Land was after that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So like, it reminded me of something that La La Land did, and whether it took inspiration or whatever. Like, it was the scene where um, both uh, Mia and Sebastian go to the Griffins Observatory. And they are there and suddenly they break out into dance and it feels like a dream sequence because they end up floating in the air. And obviously people normally do that. (laughs) (laughs) It would be cool, but people don't normally do that. And they were just dancing and it was all whimsical and it reminded me of this scene in this film. And like, it's something that I don't quite yet understand the purpose of in films because I'm not that well educated in films yet. But it's something I hopefully why this. But it is quite interesting. It makes the film adds a a different element, like messes up the dynamic, but in a good way. Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's an interesting soundtrack as well because it's so often these days with the uh, with films the soundtrack is it feels like the soundtrack is designed to sell a soundtrack at the end of the uh, to be a, a, an add on to the film, whereas this isn't a soundtrack, this isn't a score I don't think you would sit down and listen to without watching the film, mm. but it is absolutely perfect um, uh, to, to the film and absolutely kind of guides you through the film, you know, uh, really smoothly and without without being a thing, you never really notice it until it's done. And actually, actually, that was done really, really well. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, was there anything else? I mean, music is a very important thing in this film, but I don't think I have anything more to say about it. No, not at all. Um, so what do you want to do? You want to wrap up your feelings on Shape of the Water? Ah, uh, okay. So overall, because this is a revisited episode, I have to say my opinions have drastically changed about this film. I appreciate this film a lot more than I did before. I used to, I think, give this film a lot of unnecessary slack in the sense that I just thought of it as very one-dimensional in the sense that, like, this is just about a woman falling in love with a sea creature and like that's it and like I found that weird as a 15 year old but now I'm older I'm 18 rewatched the film and I have a lot more films under my my belt that I've seen that are a lot more um I guess how do I like Oscar targeted so like very I guess artsy films that's the word I'm looking for artsy films yeah so I've seen a lot more of those to know now why they do certain things and how they make films like that so I have to say I would recommend this film to people I'd say maybe just like you know ignore the fact that there's a really weird relationship between a sea creature and a girl like just take that with a pinch of salt but then enjoy the rest of it because I do think it's worth a watch yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, it's. I think it's a very layered film, and I think it's very. It's quite a complex film, and I mean, I, I, watching it again this week to prepare for this, um, I noticed things I hadn't noticed before, and um, I already could definitely go and sit down and watch it again at a later date. Um, and you should definitely, definitely, definitely watch um, *Pan's Labyrinth*, um, mm. which is a better film. Uh, but very similar it's uh it's kind of adult fairy tale so it's um yeah very similar equally as gross as well so no oh, gosh <laughs> will i have to watch another cat be murdered no i don't think there's any cat murders in there okay. there's some pretty horrific things in there though so yeah but worth as watching. long as ca- no cats are harmed i think i'll be okay <laughs> <laughs> i was just very traumatized at that scene <laughs> 
It's a good scene. <laughs> it's not a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> but um, do you have any like additional bits? Uh, no, like I said, just it's uh, it, it is a it is a really good film, and I think it's. Um, you know, I, I think it's 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 an artsy film, as you said, without being an art house film. And I don't think you have to be a film student to enjoy the film. Um, I think you have to kind of see past woman and sea fish monster being in love, because actually, I think the film's about more than that. But um, but no, I think it's well worth it, and I can totally see why it won the Oscar that year, up against some really really good uh, good films as well. So, uh, and I looked down kind of the films that it, it beat in kind of the best uh, in in the best picture, and you know, Dunker, Get Out, The Post, Three Billboards are all brilliant films. In fact, Three Billboards is one of my favorite films. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I would still say this is a better film. Um, Interesting, because overall. I don't know. I wouldn't say maybe it actually of the competition that it had it was like i say it was a contender because before i would just be like bottom of the list should not have deserved it now i'm kind of like okay it feels like a contender now but as you'll see in two episodes time when i go through the 2017 oscar films with a special guest as well um i think i wouldn't put it as the thing that i would have said would have won that year who who won the 2017 it was Shape of Water. Oh no! So I, th- I thought you. I thought you. Th- I thought it was. I thought it was twenty eighteen. So uh, I apologise. So. Uh, oh, okay. So yeah, I sorry. think it is the twenty eighteen Oscars, like the. Right. But okay. uh, all the films are like kind of post back, or they say yeah. that it's like the cohort of like yeah. twenty seventeen ones. Okay, so is your is your special guest Tom Hanks? Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I really <laughs> wish. If Tom Hanks was listening, like, come on, hit me up. But I really don't think he is. He is a man who is busy as it is and, like, super cool. I do not think he'll be listening to this podcast. Hey, you never know. I mean, you can only wish. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we have wrapped up our opinions about The Shape of Water, we've pretty much done with our topic. So now it leads us to the infamous segment of my show called recommend or to the back end are you aware of this segment Matt? <laughs> it's, it's my favorite segment absolutely <laughs> so how does so, this work so are you are, do i get to recommend and send something to the back end you can do whatever you feel yes have you have, have you got something to recommend i have a recommend as as it's uh, a popular thing known on this podcast is I never have a to the back end because I just I just don't like watching <laughs> stuff that's bad and I never steer my way towards it. Okay, well, well you hit me with your recommend and then uh, I have a recommend and a send to the back end for you. Ooh, okay, so my recommend for this week, fitting with the theme of um, 2017 or 2018, whichever year, Oscar films, I watched The Post. It's on Netflix and it has uh, Meryl Streep in it and it has Tom Hanks in it as aforementioned, so claimed um, special guest on my podcast in a few <laughs> weeks. Um, and it's basically a film set, um, I think, during like the end era of the Vietnam War. And um, it's essentially like... The Washington Post, which is the company that Meryl Streep owns, against the uh, the New York Times, I think, yeah, and about media and media censorship within that time period and some of the stuff that the government doesn't want the public to know, but 
the media feel like they have a right to freedom of press and it just shows that whole story of how i guess the freedom of press is challenged by the government yeah i i have to confess i have seen it but a long time ago and uh and i i all i remember is i really liked it but don't remember anything about it which is not helpful <laughs> at all for this uh for this podcast that i mean that's okay i only really watched it for the first time like last week because i've been on an oscar watching film binge <laughs> um and i don't know i think it, I was sitting in my room and I was just really happy whilst watching it. I was like cheering on like, yes, go Meryl Streep, you fight for your business. And I don't know, it just, it made me feel really happy because I feel like a lot of films that I've seen recently, especially Oscar films, they feel like historical pieces, right? And I don't mind watching historical pieces as long as they're stuff that I guess I don't really know about. I don't have much information about. So like, I do appreciate a good war film now and again, but if I've seen a lot, it just feels like, okay, but what else? There are so many other interesting things that go on in the world that you can make films about. Why are we going over the war aspect again? Yeah, I think I think honestly, I think you need to find a new aspect when you talk about a um, a, a a subject that we that we that we know about or there's been lots of films about. So. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, it's kind of it's kind of nice to hear the, an Oscar film that, that made you happy because you know most of the most of the Oscar films tend to be quite traumatic, right? Um, yeah, tend to be pretty grim when you when you think about it. Mm, very. So I would definitely give the post a recommend. It's on Netflix at the moment, so if you've got Netflix, go ahead and watch it and let me know what you guys think of it. Great. Can I can I give my recommend now then? You can give your recommendation. Right, so mine's a TV thing, and I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, um, I watch more film TV for sure, but uh, I I recently finished watching Killing Eve season three on Ooh. BBC. Okay, uh, which I is... have not seen, but I've been recommended yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, uh, it's gonna I'm gonna slightly you know slate it now, but only in that it's absolutely brilliant. The season three is, is still better than most TV out there. Certainly better than most British TV that that I've seen. Um, I would say that the, without giving away any spoilers, it, it ends in a way that kind of opens it up to a fourth season. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a, the, the storyline is a storyline that needs to end. I don't think you can run for season upon season upon season. So, um, mm. but it was still brilliant. All the things that are amazing about the first season and the second season are still there in the third. The characters are brilliant. Um, very diverse um, cast. Reference to Woo! episode three. The only one I haven't referenced back to is Glee, and I didn't understand any of that episode. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that's okay. Look, you've hit you've hit Star Wars. You've hit the the ethnic representation one. You've hit the um, uh, the Academy Awards one. I'm even forgetting my own episodes. <laughs> um, the Glee one is a niche market to kind of segue in you know before my time i'm sure um but no watch uh, watch killing eve season three it's brilliant if you haven't watched season one or two go back and watch them first it's, it's brilliant, on my list brilliant, brilliant show. on my list of things to watch and and then on the flip side of that coin things not to watch uh, i recently watched a film uh, a series called run which is D- mm. Domino gleason who i love brilliant actor and it's by the team that put together fleabag which is another amazing show um and it is a it's billed as a comedy, but it's not funny, um, which is probably the first 
problem I have with it. Um, but the concept is a young couple who um, uh, who drift apart and they go off in their own lives. They have a pact that says if one takes one texts the other one the word "run," then you have to leave everything and meet meet up in Grand Central Station. So it's a great concept, and it kind of it's really intriguing, and it kind of hooks you in for the first you know first couple of episodes, and then it just it just doesn't go anywhere, and the characters are just really unlikable. Um, the plotline kind of disappears. The only bonus point of the bonus of the, the the whole series is that towards the end, um, the main actress from Flea Fleabag comes into it as a as a very cute character, um, and that's the only funny bit. It's the only saving grace of the whole series, but it's not worth watching ten episodes or four uh, for that one bit. So yeah, definitely oh. send to the back end. Yikes! We don't we don't like that. That doesn't sound very great. <laughs> I mean, you've watched it, so now I don't have to, and you <laughs> don't have to either. <laughs> I, I suffered on your behalf. Thank you. It was a, it was a good sacrifice. <laughs> you need to do more centre the back end, though. That should be a that should be an ambition for the podcast. You need to find. I know, I know. It's going to be tough for me to actually <laughs> watch something that's not great. I mean, truth be told, right? This is kind of a bit of a bit of a controversy. I watched Space Force thinking it was going to be a to the back end, right? So I watched it with the intention that I wasn't going <laughs> to like it. And then it ended up becoming something that I really liked. So even the things that when I'm trying to find to the back ends, it's just not working. Yeah, you need, you need, more, uh, you need more pain and suffering. So for just, you need to suffer for your podcast. Wait, I think I did suffer for my podcast recently. You know what? You have reminded me of something that I want to put to the back end. And it kind of brings me back to like the Oscar films and like how I was saying about war time films that I just didn't like. And I watched The Darkest Hour. Oh. And yeah, and it's an Oscar nominated film and like it's critically acclaimed and like um, Gary Oldman, I think, who's in yep. it, like apparently did some really good acting. I was watching it because I was like, I need to watch all the Oscar films of 2017. I'm really interested in them. It seems like a good year. And I've heard good things about The Darkest Hour, so I'll watch it. And it's basically about Gary Oldman becoming Winston Churchill. Not actually in real life, but he, the actor is playing <laughs> Winston Churchill. I love the idea of a film with Gary Oldman gradually turning into Winston Churchill. <laughs> that, that's, that's an Oscar winner. That's literally just the behind <laughs> yeah. the scenes. <laughs> that's the film yeah. that I would like. That would be sent to the recommend, <laughs> not the back end. <laughs> um, but I watched it and I have to admit I fell asleep halfway through the film and I woke up and I still understood what was going on so I was like you know what let's carry on and it just felt very dragged and boring and especially at a time where Winston Churchill is kind of a bit of a controversial figure at the moment it just feels like Winston Churchill happy propaganda yeah I mean it must be I again it's um it's a film I have seen and I don't remember a huge amount I do do remember that Gary Oldman is brilliant in it and you know he's amazing because mm. you don't you don't see he's unrecognizable as uh, as Winston Churchill exactly um, yeah uh, but yeah no I, similar thoughts to you I, I I don't remember I don't remember much kind of engaging about the film um yeah not particular kind of subject I'm a big fan of either so um yeah, no, I'm mm. happy to send that to the back end. And like, also, it just feels very much like the awarding. Like, I can see the 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 old white men of the awarding body just like, oh, this is such a brilliant film, Winston Churchill, such an influential <laughs> figure, and all the young people like, excuse me, <laughs> do you know what he's about? <laughs> and yeah, I think that just that's like peak non-representation nominee for 
the Oscars. Although I do think Gary Oldman did a good job. I just think something a little bit more diverse could have been there. But that's that's the Oscars. You have suffered for your podcast. I have suffered, finally. <laughs> Actually, you, you, made, you made me remember about my suffering. I tried to block it out, but it resurfaced. So you have to write it down. You like that memento guy. You have to write it down. If you, if you, like on my yeah, body. so otherwise you. So I feel like feel like you probably are watching stuff that you don't like, and then you're just forgetting about it. You're, you're. The yeah. thing is, though, the thing is, wait, where is it? I have a notebook where basically what I've started doing is because I thought I am a very forgetful person. People who know me very well know that I'm a very forgetful person. I need to write notes about things, otherwise I will forget. So I have a no- a specific notebook. So I have a podcast notebook, but now I also have a film notebook where I have actual notes about films that I've seen so I don't forget the thoughts that I felt. And let's read out the notes for The Darkest Hour then. (laughs) It was super boring. I fell asleep during most of it and it's just so long. It felt like Churchill propaganda. (laughs) That's all I wrote. (laughs) And then you have like films like Hunt for the Wilder People (laughs) where I have pages of like notes on it and then just literally a third of the page your, your notes the your notes on the darkest hour basically sound like a 12 year old doing a book report <laughs> I, I watched this film it was about a person it was boring i did not like it <laughs> <laughs> pretty much pretty much and that's how i yeah i think that's how i felt <laughs> <laughs> so that means that we have now reached the end of the episode Ooh. <laughs> it's been really fun though yeah no definitely definitely i look i look forward to my invite to a future episode oh 100 you've definitely claimed your title as being a good guest yeah i could maybe next time we'll, we'll have like why marvel films are bad or uh, <gasps> why disney sucks maybe not <laughs> that's an ambitious episode title i'll say episode 150 <laughs> no i would i'm gonna be doing marvel fairly soon so for all those marvel fans like i have it in the works coming within the next few months um but i don't feel like i could talk about how marvel movies are bad that's not that's not my vibe on them well i i expect you'll be referencing the uh the woman who falls in love with the big green monster um similar to this film right right i mean i don't really like um, the Incredible Hulk. Um, controversial opinion. I didn't like that film, and Spoiler. also just generally the forced romance that they've had. This is like a taster insight into <laughs> Sorry. my Marvel episode, but I don't like it either. So you know, maybe I will relate it to the Shape yeah. of Water. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me. It's been uh, it's been lots of fun. It has been lots of fun. Thank everyone for listening. Like, um, it's episode five now, and I still have people listening. So that's kind of that's really good. You know? oh, if it stops now, I'm going to feel really bad. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm I'm really appreciative of everyone who's sharing and listening and like enjoying, commenting, messaging me, telling me that they like the podcast, or even if they didn't like the podcast, I'm happy to hear it as well. Um, and. If you aren't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you're on Spotify, follow it. No harm. You get notified when my podcast releases. I guess that's a bit helpful. Um, and if you have any recommendations for the recommend or to the back end segment, or if you have any concept ideas for the episode, please do um, feel free to DM me or tweet me at uh deets with Dita on twitter and at deets with Dita on instagram as well so 
I'm always welcome and open to ideas and I enjoy watching new things as you can tell by my podcast <laughs> so I'm I'll be happy to hear from you guys and if that's all Matt do you have anything else to add no nope, I'm good thank you for having me <laughs> awesome I will see you all next week bye everyone bye <laughs>